0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. Let us listen now for God's word to us. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining.'" And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up, And covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Boy, what a bunch of whiners and complainers, right? I mean, these who do these Israelites think they are? The audacity to question God like this. Has there ever been a more ungrateful bunch? I mean, they should be on their knees thanking God for every second of breath that they breathe no longer held captive by the chains of Pharaoh. Or at least this is often how we read this passage, isn't it? Pointing the finger of blame and asking how those people could possibly be so unappreciative of God's blessing and so untrusting of God's provision for them without ever fully realizing that we are those people. They are us. And what we see the Israelites doing here is something that should actually feel all too familiar to us. That even though they've left Egypt, Egypt hasn't completely left them. Even though they're no longer in the empire, the empire is still very much in them. And even though by the power of God we have left our sin, our sin has not completely left us. But notice the absurd characterization and the selective amnesia of their life in Egypt as compared to life in the wilderness. Their memory of slavery is distorted by their present pain and hunger. Their current scarcity leads them to create this false narrative of prior abundance. They, they say that they, they wish they had simply died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, where at least they had these pots of meat and enough bread to go around. Now. Now what do they have, right? Now what, what do we have out here in this wilderness? And this, this is what hunger can do to people. Or perhaps more to the point, this is what happens <clears throat> when reality doesn't quite match up with our expectations. We thought this would be easier, God. We, we, we thought that once we left Egypt, that we would thrive. We wouldn't have to scavenge for food like animals. So they fabricate this this idealized narrative of the good old days. Back in Egypt, we had pots of flesh and and bread. Sure, we had to perform some backbreaking labor, but we had food, at least, and plenty of it. It would have been better for us to just die in Egypt than to starve out here in the wilderness. And we do this all the time. So often, for instance, we lament how we've lost the good old days of this country, back when we still behave like the Christian nation that it once was, founded upon biblical principles. We idealize our history and conveniently forget that our nation, much like the nation or the empire of Egypt, was built on the backs of slaves, whose bondage was routinely justified by preachers all over the country, based on what we claimed was a very clear interpretation of Scripture. And we forget that for much of our history, that we look back on as the good old days, entire groups of people had their basic human rights limited based on arbitrary yet God-given qualities like race and gender and things like that. So when we get worked up into a frenzy about the good old days of our prior Christian nation lamenting the creeping secularism that is all around us, I think the truth is that we actually have no one to blame but ourselves. Like the Israelites, the narrative of the good old days that we so often tell ourselves isn't quite as true as we would like to believe. But what I find most fascinating about this particular story isn't so much their grumbling or even the lies that they tell themselves about what life was like back in Egypt, but how God responds to their grumbling, their complaining, and their false testimony. There is not even a hint of judgment in how God responds to the people. The way the story is told, it it sounds like a setup, right? Like you can kind of see where this is going. We know where the people have come from and we know where they're going, where they're ultimately being led. So when we hear about their complaining and their grumbling in the wilderness, we we might be led to expect that what's going to happen is God will come down very harshly on the people. will let them know just how ungrateful they're being and how unappreciative they are. Or at the very least, that God will have Moses do it, right? And the suspense is built up even more when Moses uh, tells Aaron to tell the people, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. Which sounds to me a whole lot like when my mom used to say to me, just wait till your dad gets home. Right? She's right there, so. (laughs) But instead, of that stern lecture that we might expect, God simply responds by saying, at twilight you, will have, you, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So the people grumble and complain, and God gives them exactly what they need. And then from here on out, when they wake up every single morning, they find that the bread that the Lord has promised is there for them, waiting for them, enough for each person, for each day. And whenever anyone collects more than they need, it rots, it grows worms, and becomes foul. And on the sixth day of the week, they collect twice as much bread so that they can observe the Sabbath, just as the Lord commanded them. And when some people disobey that and try to go out and collect on the Sabbath anyway, they find that it's not there. There is no manna. And then Moses tells Aaron to collect some of the manna, put it in a jar, and place it before the Lord as a commemoration for generations to come, a tangible, visible reminder of God's presence and provision for the people as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But that moment of judgment that we expect, that we're just waiting for, it never seems to come. Neither God nor Moses ever set the people straight. They never demand that they be grateful for how God brought them out of Egypt and how God continues to provide for them in spite of their obstinance. In fact, it's their grumbling that almost seems to initiate God's action. Just like at the beginning of Exodus when their cries went up to God and God remembered the covenant with God's people. So not only does God not seem upset or angry about the grumbling, God almost rewards it in a sense. God actually seems uh, rather pleased to be, to be giving in this thing that they're asking for. It's not as if God is reluctantly giving in to their demands. Now again, there's just there's no, there's no hint of judgment here, except when the people try to take more than they need or try to go out and collect on the sabbath but not because they grumbled or made up stories about how good life was in egypt and all i can think is that you know if if i were god which is a dangerous proposition right i'd be pretty upset at these people i would i would want to let them know just how upset they were i would i would i'd probably you know give in and give them the food that they wanted but I would do it, I would tell them about it with that disappointed dad tone, you know, that, that all, all dads have, just to let them know exactly how disappointed you are uh, in, in their actions. But once again, surprise, surprise, I see very clearly that I'm not God and that God continues to act in surprising and confounding ways. You may remember last week we read about how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And we, we paid attention to and noticed. The powerful baptismal imagery in that story. That the people moved through the waters from death to life. And that from those waters was born the people of God. It was the birth of a people. And I think here in this story, we now see Israel in its infancy. And if you've ever had a newborn, or ever been around one, you know quite well how they act when they get hungry, or tired, or uncomfortable. I think the power of God's response to the people here is that we see, in God, we see a loving, patient parent caring for a newborn child who is still trying to figure out and navigate life in this new world. The people are fighting to figure out what this life is all about, and they're discovering that it's quite difficult, far more difficult than they had ever imagined. Being a parent of a newborn can be insanely frustrating because sometimes the baby just cries and cries and cries, and you have no idea why or what to do to help. And there's no reasoning with an infant, there's no way to rationally explain that you'll be much happier if you just finish this bottle, stop fighting your sleep, and learn how to sleep for longer than an hour at a time. As a parent, this tests your patience over and over, and it makes you feel like you're going crazy sometimes, and sometimes you do go a little crazy. And it's absolutely exhausting. Now, much later in the life of the Israelite people, when they are in exile, the prophet Isaiah picks up on this imagery of God as as a nursing mother, as a parent to this child. And Isaiah says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah's word to the people in exile is to remember that God is their loving parent who like a nursing mother will not forget them and will always sustain them. And the people learned on that day that the same God that called them out of slavery, slavery in Egypt, would also provide for them and sustain them in the wilderness. If there's one thing that we know about God, And one thing that the Israelites learned on that day, it's that constant refrain that we hear echoed all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So that even when we grumble and complain, and I think we can all admit that we do our fair share of that, and even when we make up these idealized stories of the past, God, our loving parent, responds with grace and provision, not judgment and anger. There's two important ways, I think, that uh, the imagery of manna and God's provision in the wilderness gets picked up in the New Testament. The first is that prayer that we already prayed this morning and that we pray each and every week when we gather, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus commands us in that prayer to pray for our daily bread. Now, for those of us who have more than enough daily bread, the story of the people in the wilderness should challenge us each and every time we pray that prayer. God explicitly commands the people to take only enough for that day, not to try to hoard it for themselves. And in doing so, God is trying to raise up a people whose whose common life together is marked by generosity, sharing, neighborliness. If one person took too much, that meant, his neighbor wouldn't have enough. Now, we can do all the interpretive gymnastics that we want and try to tell ourselves that it's a different time. You know, Things are a lot more complex, and bread doesn't just fall out of the sky anymore. But the reality is that we are still called to be the people who ensure that our neighbors have enough to eat. We're called to remember that in the prayer we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not give me this day my daily bread. We too are called to live lives marked by generosity, sharing, and neighborliness. The other way we see this in the New Testament is in John chapter 6, where Jesus tells the people that he, he is the bread from heaven, like the manna in the wilderness. However, unlike manna, he says, I am the living bread. Whoever eats of this bread will, forever, uh, will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, we are a grumbling and complaining people. But God responds to that, not in anger and judgment, but in grace, mercy, steadfast love. Like a nursing mother, and sends us the bread of life, which sustains us in the wilderness. So each week as we gather around the Word, which is our sustenance, which is our daily bread, and when we gather at the table and are fed and nourished by the bread of life and are called to share it wherever we go. So as we grumble in the wilderness, may we too be sustained by the assurance of God's provision for us. And may we live lives that are marked by generosity, sharing, and neighborliness. Amen.